You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning. All right. Woo! Thank you. Thanks. I'm excited. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I want to welcome all of those of you joining us online uh, you guys, some people are like, who is this guy? I've been here for like eight weeks, and they have a new preacher every weekend. Um, and that's true. We have had some pretty amazing folks teaching over the last, uh, since June 18th was my last appearance up here. And some of that was planned, and a bunch of it was not planned. Um, yeah, I get the privilege. I didn't know how I'd feel today. Um, I get the privilege of being able to be the lead servant at this really cool church called Real Life on the Palouse. And uh, didn't know if I'd be back up here again ever. This is actually a big part of my job. I get the privilege of sharing what God has given me the opportunity to go through on a weekly basis. And we get comments like, man, you're so real. And I'm like, I don't know any other way to be. I'm being molded. I'm, you know, I'm committed to following Jesus. And he is making me uh, in his image day by day by day. But I was a pretty rough piece of clay when he started. And still am. And so I get the privilege of being up here usually 30 to 35 times a year but, um, and, and sharing God's word. But I want to thank the folks that have been up here while I wasn't. Uh, Randy McLaughlin, uh, Adam McKelder, who's here uh, often as the associate pastor, Greg Carter, our awesome worship pastor, Ty Brooks, who's fantastic. And so isn't it cool to be part of a church that wants to develop volunteers and folks and wants to develop people in their giftings and we can get a guy like Ty Brooks and we're like, hey, well, he's not on staff. He's not a pastor, but he, I don't know. It sounded like one to me. Yeah. Amen. And so we get the privilege of, of developing folks that we see uh, giftings in. Uh, Mitch Jones uh, and Carrie Gray. Kelly Van Arsdell from um, Pullman came over and helped out. So we had a bunch of people come out, and they shared the messages with passion and conviction. And that's, that's what community does. Community comes together, and today we're going to talk quite a bit about community. Let me give you the quick update so I can save all of us the trouble of like, hey, what happened to you? How are you doing? Like, where'd it go? Uh, what, what, what happened to you? Where'd you go? Um, so some of you know, but, you know, tragedy strikes on occasion, and opportunity comes with that sometimes. Um, so I was given the opportunity to see what kind of community I really had. And so on July 14th, I wasn't feeling great. Um, I had ignored some signs prior to that. Uh, of, of a lot of, uh, I was belching a lot and like lots of heartburn. I was like, I'm eating horrible. I'm too fat. Of course, I went on a weight loss program, as you can tell. Um, pretty intensive one. And so uh, anyway, I wasn't feeling good. And I got to the point where I finally moved my pride far enough aside. And I said, Carrie, you got to take me to the ER. And this was on Friday, July 14th. So she took me to the ER here in Moscow at Gritman. And I was treated really, really well. And they're like, hey, do you have life flight? Because uh, you're going to get a $2,000 per minute or 26-minute ride or a $52,000 opportunity to take a helicopter tour directly to Kootenai Medical Center. And so I took off um, and was life-flighted to Community uh, Medical Center because I was having some heart, heart challenges um, and got there. And um, they did some more tests on me and checked me out, and they were like, hey, um, we're going to do a heart cath and let's just not do stress tests. Let's just go in there and see what's up. You know, you might need to do, we might need to do a little rotor in your heart. 
uh, and give you some meds and change your diet. Um, or you might uh, need stents if it's, if it's, if it's kind of bad. And like worst case scenario, you know, you'll need like a, a bypass surgery. So I picked the, the bypass surgery. Uh, I picked the triple bypass. And uh, they, uh, I was in disbelief. Carrie and I were just sitting in there. I'm like, I'm 48 years old and I'm fat, but I'm not that fat, you know. Um, I eat poorly, but not that poorly. And you know what? My arteries didn't care. I did not win the gene pool lottery with three of my arteries. Two of them were blocked at 90%. One of them was blocked at 70%. And apparently that's not good. So I didn't even know that I had been running on like far less cylinders. And I don't know how long that took to build up or those things, but I just sat there just in shock. And so they scheduled my procedure for Wednesday the 19th. And I had community coming in like crazy from our Post Falls community, from my original life group from 1999, 2000, like almost all of those people came into the, because I was in Kootenai, I had pastors from real life up there and different pastors coming in and visiting. Like, I think the nurses were like, who is this guy? And like, uh, like, okay, we only have two at a time and like rotating through. Uh, and that was even when Adam asked you guys to leave me alone, right? Uh, from the stage, he's like, pray for him. You know, Josh is pretty transparent with his phone number and all those things, but pray for him. But, you know, he needs to rest. And uh, you don't rest in the hospital anyway, okay? Those little vampires come with the red jackets and take your blood all the time. Um, but uh, a lot of community. And so that, that I went to bed that Saturday night, Saturday the, uh, the 15th, and, uh, you know, kind of just in shock. My wife went and stayed with uh, Michael and Rose Reyes, who were founding pastors here at this church, not too far away from the hospital. And then I woke up late in the evening or early in the morning. I don't really know. I wasn't checking my clock, my watch that much, but it was Saturday night and I wasn't feeling good. So I'm in the hospital, sharing a room next to a guy. I wasn't feeling good. And uh, I woke up and I'm like, I'm really not feeling good. So I hit the nurse button and she comes in and I said, I don't feel good. As a matter of fact, I'm going out. That's what I said. That's what I think I said. And like the black tunnel just came and it was and boom, I was out. The next thing that I wake up to is I'm in my pool in my own sweat because apparently when your blood pressure drops from like 170 to 20, your body does stuff. And, uh, and there was nine faces looking at me. And you know how nurses are supposed to kind of keep it cool? They were not keeping it cool. Like they were like, <laughs> and like one was on the phone with the cardiologist. They were going nuts and they tried to give me some stuff and, and they're like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I feel like I'm shooting lightning bolts out of my left arm. And they're like, ah, that's not good. So they got me into a cardiac ICU on Saturday morning, called my wife at three in the morning, like all of you guys want is a phone call at three in the morning uh, to go see your spouse. And she rushes down there and um, they're taking care of things. And we have a conversation and I'm just not sure. So they take me in for my second heart cath. And they're like, I came out and I'm like, this is kind of weird. I feel like this thing beating inside of my chest opposite of my heart. And they went in and they put a balloon around my heart to beat blood around it. And they're like, hey, guess what? Congratulations on, ha- on, on doing that. We're going to move you to the front of the line. You're going to have surgery tomorrow morning instead of Wednesday. So I think they felt like it was pretty urgent to get me in there. And so I bumped some people apparently out of line. Uh, my heart did. And I had uh, 55 days ago, I had a triple bypass open heart surgery. And um, it was quite an experience. It was either that or you could die. I was like, I'll take the 
to bypass. And for these guys, it's like changing a tire. It's like NASCAR, changing a tire. They're just like... But for you, it's kind of a big deal when you're laying on the table and your heart's going to be stopped and you're going to be put on these other machines and all those things. Um, so I wanted to... That's, that's the story. So I've been recovering since then. I graduated from uh, Gritman Cardiac Rehab. I was at the gym four days last week. Uh, I was at a, a Cougar game yesterday. Woo! Go Cougs! And I walked, my seats were down really, really low, and I was fine going down. Uh, and I walked all the way out of there and got to the top, and I was like, I'm kind of sucking wind a little bit. I might want to spend some time on the Stairmaster instead of just the treadmill. Uh, but I'm getting better every day. Uh, I, I really, if, if this was closed up and sealed up, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know it. And so anyway, that's the story uh, of what happened to me. But today we're launching this idea of, of what does it look like to be in community. One more thing, time out. I know I'm supposed to say this. And I want you to hear this. For some of you, this is going to be directly for you. My daughter came up to me. My youngest daughter came up to me. And she was like, Dad, I'm so glad that God chose to, he saved you. I was really praying. I didn't want my, I didn't want my dad to die. And so I'm glad that, that God chose, to, that he saved you. And I was like, me too, me too. I had lots of things I want to tell you. Lots of things that I wanted to say. But then later on, I was thinking about what she said. And some of you have been in a situation similar to this, where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for a loved one, and they were on their, you were on your knees. And it feels like God didn't save them. my daughter or later I was thinking about this and I was like whether or not God allowed me to live on this earth any longer or not absolutely doesn't change change at all not one little tiny penny cent of who God is when we don't get what we want on earth, it doesn't change who God is. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega, He is the beginning, He is the end and so I just want to throw that to you guys who are wrestling with that, like, well, oh, Josh must be special. He's like, no, no, he loves me just as much as he loves the little girl who's digging a ditch this morning to try and get water and take it back to her family so her family can have water to drink today. And she's walking four miles uh, by herself at nine years old, bringing a bucket, a bucket of water. He loves that person as much as he loves anybody. And so I just wanted to say that to you, throw that out to you when, you know, maybe your prayers don't get answered or not answered the way that you wanted. It doesn't change who God is. He is everlasting. He is who he is and he always has been. And our circumstances don't dictate that. So I just wanted to not talk about my notes apparently and uh, share with you from my heart that he is sovereign, he is good, regardless of, of whether we get what we want or not. Anyway, side note. All right, meanwhile, back in the sermon. Uh, so this week, we're going to launch our life group season. We're kicking that off. And uh, over 30 groups are going to be launched this week. And that represents 300, over 300 people that are in life groups in our church. And you're like, that's really cool. That's like, that's probably everybody in here. So like all of the, you know, 300 people, that's, that's huge. Except we have a whole other service of people that are going to be coming later. And now that puts us in about half. 
So half of our folks are engaged in life groups, which is really good, and that was a goal that we had. So we only want half of the people at Real Life to be in relational environments and be discipled. <laughs> no, we want everybody to be discipled and to be in relational environments. It's actually a partnership requirement. If you're a partner at the church and you sign the partnership agreement, you agreed to be in a life group. Uh, on September 20th, uh, you... Uh, saw there that we're going to launch three to five life groups, new groups here at this church, seven weeks at the church. It's fun. It's awesome. And then we're going to, child care is provided. We try and take away every excuse or every reason so new groups and new people can get in there. Because guess what God's bringing to real life? New people. There's some of you, I'm like, I haven't met you before. And that happens every week. We have 10 to 15 people every week that might be brand new that actually live here that aren't visiting. They're coming and looking for a church. And so we could be launching a new group every week. You know, we're going to gather and we're going to ask questions about God and seek answers from Scripture together. Seek answers from the Holy Spirit. Tonight, the group that I'm in will meet. The senior pastor of Real Life on the Palouse is in a life group in Viola. And we're going to meet tonight. This is not a good idea for you, like another program for you or something we're asking you to be in. Like, We believe in it. Like, we believe in it like we do it. And so we're going to meet tonight, and I'm going to have a heart-healthy snack. Right, Tony and Deb? I'm going to have a heart-healthy snack. It's going to be very good. Uh, My group should just slap me if I reach for something that's not heart-healthy. They love me. And so uh, we're going to meet. Reconnect after our summer session. We had barbecue and, and did some service work. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to go over those questions on the bulletin probably. But you see, the desire for community is hardwired into you. Whether you believe in God or not, it's hardwired into you. You are designed for community. We're all looking for a place of belonging. Check out these photos. This is the uh, 1979 NASA, 1980, uh, Berea Bowling Champs, the Godfathers, the top left. They were looking to, to, to have community, so they found community bowling. And then there's a football team. And then there's obviously, like most of us who play bridge, how many people in here play bridge every week and get together with your bridge club people? Oh, it's not a thing anymore? Okay, we should. It's supposed to be better than Pinochle. Um, so, but this is a bridge club. And here's some guys looking for community. They have a specific community called the Hell's Angels. And they're looking for a community, right? And this is a specific community, the Hell's Angels of California Motorcycle Club. And there's chapters. And they're looking to find commonality and do life with a group of folks. And then you have the Fellowship of the Rings right here. Fellowship is a Bible word, or we think it's a Bible word, means koinonia, the togetherness. They shared everything that they had in common, the koinonia of the rings. And then some family reunion of people I don't even know. Uh, But you understand, like, we're all seeking for community. We are seeking to, to be known and to know others. And you can do that in a surface level here at church, and I'm going to force you guys to talk to each other for and some, some things here. You'd be like, that's weird. But you can do that here, but it's hard to make disciples on a Sunday morning. We can get some information. This is not even the best information you could get today 
in the world of church sermons that are going to be preached. There's some pretty amazing pastors that teach some pretty amazing messages, but we gather to scatter, to scatter. We gather here to connect. And like my job is I'm a, I'm a connecting machine. I'm trying to connect as many people as possible. And when I come up and if I'm visiting with somebody that's new or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I'm an engineer. I'm like, cool. I'm going to introduce you to, and I'm taking them over to another engineer. And I'm hoping that engineer's in a life group. I'm hoping they're going to get invited to a life group. So it starts from the very beginning. Here's interesting, according, uh, interesting stat, stat, quote. According to research by social psychologist David uh, McClellan of Harvard, just a Harvard guy, what does he know? Uh, the people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of the success or failure in life that you have. So if you want to be a really good basketball player, you should hang out with the people who play cornhole. Because that, I mean, that's the same motion, right? Like, that's the same thing. No, if you're a really good basketball player, guess what you probably hang out with? Basketball players, coaches, people that are around that can surround you, and yet you're going to be gravitating towards excellence in that. If you wanted to be halfway decent at understanding your Bible, maybe you should hang around with people that are passionate about God's word and the Bible. Love that. Right on, brother. Maybe you should find a community. If you're watching us online and you love being online and you can, and somehow we're the church that you chose to be online, you should still find a community. Because is it really hard to get information in the information age? Can't you access information at your fingertips? And we have all these, like, I, wanna, I don't want to call them false communities, but these things where we care about what other people think, but we don't want to let them too close. Like, I, oh, I did this. TikTok video and look how many people watched it. I do the same thing with our sermons and stuff. Where I'll be like, "Ooh, look at we had like you know X number of people watch the sermon or like a uh, Instagram quote or whatever. That's really cool." And so, community—you need to have community that can actually invest and engage in your life, and you can do the same with others. I did. So today, what we're inviting you to is not to a program. This is not, Life Groups is not a church program here at Real Life. It's a way of life. It's why I'm even remotely in ministry. Like, that's cool if this room keeps getting filled up and more and more people come and you guys all invite your friends and we have to have another service. We get to have three services and then four services and we had like 2,000 people. Wouldn't it be cool? Just a big giant church in Moscow that, like, if we're not making disciples, I don't even care. I'd rather have 200 life groups that have 10 people in it that are really making a change in the world and really doing life together and asking hard questions and, and asking the, the guys are asking each other how they're treating their wives. The guys are asking each other, how are you doing with your eyes? The guys are asking each other, how are you doing with your finances? How are you treating your family? How are you discipling your kids? And the ladies are doing the same thing. And you're having these real discussions with real people not cheering on something that's happening once a week like we did at the football game yesterday. That was fun. Didn't, it's not going to really change my life. So, meanwhile, we should probably do some Bible stuff since I'm a pastor. Let's dive in. At the very beginning, the first human crisis that we see in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And so here's what's happening. Uh, There's a creation account that's happening, and God says this. It is not good for man or mankind to be alone. You're not designed to be alone. 
Your creator said that you're not designed to be alone, and he knows. So I will make a suitable uh, 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 helper suitable for him. And so God goes on, and he creates all the birds of the air and all the beasts on the ground. The life's like, and man names them. And so like, God's like, my first solution to his aloneness is I'm going to create a donkey. No. Uh, and starts creating all these animals and all, well, maybe these birds. And the, and the man is naming these birds, and he's naming the animals. And then it goes on to say, uh, but none of those were suitable for his loneliness, for his aloneness. And so he put, he put man into a deep sleep, took out the rib, and created woman. And a lot of times we're like, oh, this is the marriage thing. Like, this is a community thing. You were designed, like you were incomplete by yourself. You need God and you need his people. And so the very first human crisis that we see in the text is it's not good for man to be alone. God was with Adam. Just me and Jesus. It's all I need. None of you. Well, then you don't understand the text. Because you were with just, Adam was with God in the garden. There was no sin. There was nothing wrong. And yet God sees something that he wants to add to the equation. Don't you think that God puts you in situations that require you to have community? God designed us for a relationship with him and others, and he shows us this in the text from the beginning and in the middle, like in Psalm 133. Let's take a look at this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Like living together and in unity, like it implies like interaction, like you're connected. Like, you help your neighbor. You care about your neighbor. You see the needs of the people that are all around you, and, and you, you, you're engaged and involved in that. Well, what happens when God's people live in unity? It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, uh, uh, the, running down on Aaron's beard, as a matter of fact, down on the collar of his robe. Okay, time out. Who's Aaron? Aaron, we find Aaron in Exodus 4.14, I think, is when he's introduced. And he's introduced as Moses' uh, brother. And he's also a priest. He's a Levite. He's a priest. And what being a priest means is that you're set apart. Like you are all a kingdom of priests. You are set apart for, to do good works, to, to show the world what it looks like to be in the kingdom. And so like being in unity and connecting with others is like being set apart for a purpose and a plan. It is as if dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Mount uh, Hermon is the, is the tallest peak in that area, 9,200 feet. And Mount Zion is considered like Jerusalem. And so like water is kind of a big deal. It's like refreshing. It's like, it's so refreshing that you would be with other people and that they would be able to point out things in your life and you could point out things in their life. It's so refreshing to do that. It's like the dew from this beautiful mountain falling upon Jerusalem, God's holy people in his holy city. It, it's like blessings forevermore. Where does God bestow his blessing? Where is life in relationship, in community. And then let's take a look in, into the Newer Testament in Acts 2. You guys knew I was going there. You can't do this message without this. 
And it says, in Acts 2.42, says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. They were pretty sold out. We've got some real estate agents here that will be over here afterwards if you want to sell your, sell your property uh, to give to anybody who has it. No. But they are pretty sold out to what was going on. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You mean you meet with people every day? You study God's word every day? You pray every day? Wow. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this fellowship, this word fellowship, comes from a word called koinonia. And it's defined as holding something in common. But it's even more than that. It's like shared values. It's, it's convictions. It's uh, behaviors. This definition from Grace Seminary that we have up here says, uh, when those, uh, sorry, I'll just read it straight up. The word fellowship is derived from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia can be defined as holding something in common. It is uh, specifically used 20 times in the New Testament. Koinonia describes the unity of the spirit that comes from Christians' shared beliefs, convictions, and behaviors. Remember that, uh, that, that doctorate of sociology from Harvard who said you're going to be like, like nine, the main people that you hang out with, you're going to have their c- convictions and behaviors? So where, as Christians, are you sharing your life with other Christians and talking about shared convictions and behaviors and how we should act? When those shared values are in place, genuine fellowship, genuine koinonia, genuine life occurs. And this produces mutual cooperation in God's worship, God's work, and God's will being done in the world. See, we can't do what what God's asking us to do without being in community. So what's your fellowship like? What's your community like? Where is your association leading you? You hanging out with people that are more excited about the kickoff of Sunday football today? Like, oh, it's the NFL season. It's the best thing ever. And you got, I got this guy. Did you get, did you get your fantasy roster squared away today? After you read your Bible? After you memorized scripture? The first thing, Right? So you're getting ready to yell at that tight end who drops the ball? Like, that's cool, and that's part of association, and you can do that in groups and those things, but like, where's your association in God's word? Where's your association in chasing the Lord? All right, I'm going to tell you a secret. You guys ready for this secret? I'm going to tell you the plan. At Real Life on the Palouse, what we're doing. Don't tell anybody else. We're going to reach the world for Jesus. One person at a time. One conversation at a time. One act of service at a time. And when we get them, when we get these people, when we reach them, when we got them, 
and Jesus becomes their savior and we baptize them, then we're going to say good luck. Hope you make it. <laughs> no. Let me tell you the next part of the secret. When we get them, we're going to make biblical disciples through relational environments. And that's why we're so passionate about small groups. That's why it's hard to be in this church and not be in a small group where you feel like, ah, I just come to this show on Sunday. It's cool. I love the music. I like to raise my hand and do that. But like, we want you in relationship. Like we're here to make disciples, not grow an organization. And that takes you stepping out of your comfort zone and getting connected. It takes you to start unpeeling the layers. How many people have been hurt in a relationship before? Had their heart just stomped on? Just were in absolute like devastation, like, and it was another human being that did it to you. I think people are like. <laughs> Hurts. How many people have been loved on and cared for and I would say started to be healed by somebody in a relationship? Right? Like the same thing that, that hurt you can heal you. Now, how many people do you know that never go back to relationship or always go back to the crappy ones because they're still looking for a relationship even if it hurts? And so we want you to find good relationship, healthy relationship. This is why we spend this service, you know, talking about this. We don't, we don't go to church. We are the church. When you're walking with Jesus, you're representing what the church looks like. You know, I've heard a lot of folks come tell me that are like, you know, yeah, we like real life and I like, you know, kind of like this thing. I was kind of nervous. It's such a big church. Coming from Post Falls where it's like 7,000 people and five services, I'm like, this is not a big church. But like, what are they saying when they're like, what are you saying when you don't want to be part of a big church? I think you're saying like, I don't know if I'll be seen. Some people like that. Slide in, slide out. But really what we're saying is like, I don't know if I'll find community. Like I like a church of 30 to 50 to 70 to 100 and I'll find some community. I'll get to know people there. Well, we have like thir- over 30 churches that meet every week called life groups. Sometimes they even do communion together. Sometimes they break bread together. They're devoted to one another. They take care of each other. They pray for each other. It's almost like they're like trying to be like, Acts. I want to finish off in Hebrews 19. Excuse me, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. In my Bible, it says, a call to preserve in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our, uh, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess and to he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we are to spur one another uh, to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Not about Sunday. You should be here, but like not giving up meeting together. Like, like we meet people via text message, via voice message, via, hey, I'm thinking about you, brother. I don't know how many people I called this week and I was just like, I was praying for you. I've been thinking about you and I was praying for you. When God puts somebody on my mind, I'm just like, I got to call him. Now. Because like he knows. Like I didn't just think of that on my own. Might have been something like the Holy Spirit. Spurring each other towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. All right. Quick audience participation. Look at your neighbor, even if they're your spouse or you're not your spouse. Say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Say, say, God's got a plan for you. Say, hey, hey, say, hey, today's a special day. Look at him and say, you are not alone. It's because you're here, right? And you're like, duh. How about this? I want you to look into their eyes, not in a weird way. And say this, Jesus is passionate about you. You have a purpose. We just did, we just were obedient to scripture. Look at us encouraging one another today. Right? Relating to our our last series, last thing I want to talk about here is we talk, had this series called The Harvest, and we talked about the soil uh, and that you, you know, basically you are a field and you have soil that you're prepping. And I don't know if you had this experience as you were prepping your soil to receive God, but you know what I found in my soil and still find in my soil? Rocks. I've even found snakes in my soil. And you know what I needed on occasion to, like, I didn't see the snakes sometimes. And I'm walking down the path and there's a snake that's about to bite me and Adam goes, boom! And he steps on the snake's head. Like, you didn't see that one, Josh, did you? I'm like, no, I almost got bit by that. And it happened over and over again. And then you find these rocks and sometimes you're so interested in the tiny little rocks and you're throwing, you're throwing out these tiny little rocks and then you stub yourself on a, your toe on a big rock and you're like, that rock is giant in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get rid of that rock in my field but it is huge. I don't really think I could get rid of that rock by myself. Whatever that rock is in your life, you know what it is. I'm going to let God put it right in your head right now. What's the biggest rock in your, in your, in your field right now? What's the, what's the thing that's holding you back from a full and complete relationship with Jesus that you keep stubbing your toe on over and over and over and over again? That you can't move by yourself. That you need help. What do you do? You should read God's word. You know what God's word is to these rocks? It's like dynamite. And you know what God's community is to these rocks? It's like the lighter. He's planted the dynamite. He's going to blow your rock up. He's going to blow it out of the water. But sometimes you need community to light the fuse. 
Have a biblical community that you're a part of, one that you invest in and that you are invested in that is following Jesus, okay? So here's a final saying I want you guys to, to start saying to each other. I challenged our staff with this, and I'm challenging you guys with this. We want to get people into community. I want our church to be, it get hard to be in here without being asked if you're in community. Not all of our community is perfect. How many people have been in a bad life group before? I have. I don't know if you were in mine, but not knows. <laughs> like how many people have seen a bad movie before? There we go. And so you've never gone back and seen a movie again, right? Because it's a bad one. Same thing can happen in life groups. You know, maybe it wasn't your, it wasn't your jam. Find another jam. Get plugged in. Because Jesus died for a relationship with you and I. Amen? He died for us to have a relationship with each other. And why would we not do that in a world that's starving for a relationship? Good, healthy relationship, okay? All right, let's come to, come to the Father in communion. Lord, uh, I was nervous today. I don't know why I was nervous, because I know you're with me and you speak powerfully. But Lord... Uh, I care about this. And you care about it. You love us. You see us. You don't want us to try and do life alone. And so you went to the cross. And you gave yourself. You modeled for us what it looks like to not live life alone. And so we thank you for that. And we come to that cross, Lord. Do not let us choose to live life alone. Let us choose to live in unity. Let us choose to live in connection with people who are wanting to be connected with you. Let our conversations be a lot about you and about what you're doing in our life and about understanding you more than they are these other things that are getting in the way. So Lord, we come to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he broke the bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, this is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. We remember what you think about community. Let us be that community. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the privilege of being back up here and being able to share what, what you're passionate about, which is your people. Your people falling in love with you and, le- and falling in love with each other. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would just move us, that we would say, hey, whose group are you in? Well, I'm in a group that loves Jesus. Not a church, not a building, not a name but I have a group. I have a group of people that I do life with and it's fulfilling. So Father, have your hand upon us. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.